using it now just as a base builder, just to maintain fitness and, you know, just keep some semblance of, of, of a routine going and maintaining the streak, trying to keep the streak alive. A lot of people seem to seem to like that and it gives them some inspiration. So, you know, particularly in this time, any kind of inspiration, anything you can do to help give uh, give people, you know, something to, to look at or focus on outside of, you know, the madness and the craziness, you know, always try to, try to always do my part. I see the waves. The waves. Hello, hello. Welcome to Chill Track Friday. This is Ali. This is Anne. We're it's back. Been a while. We are back. Hiatus. I happen to be in my podcast app, and you know they all shuffle when they update and they rise to the top. And I was, and I was like, I noticed that Chill Track Friday was so far away, and I was like, Oh my god, when was the last time we released? And it was May. But here we are. What's been going on? How's been? How's life? Honestly, I mean, we took a break for a reason, and then it felt appropriate to keep taking the break, to be honest. There's just a lot going on in the world, in the United States, in New York, in my apartment. <laughs> we can keep getting more and more micro. <laughs> I like how it started macro, yeah, and then it kept going very specific. <laughs> it keep going in my brain. <laughs> the cells. Mm-hmm. I'm actually, right now I'm in Washington, D.C. I'm at my parents' house. I feel like I need to be whispering. <laughs> Why is that? I don't know. And it's it can't like, be loud. You can. You don't want them to hear from downstairs screaming at you to be like, <laughs> don't be so loud. Do the dishes. <laughs> <laughs> like I'm just speaking into a mic. Actually, I'm speaking very low. I come from a family that has, like, everyone has a really good sense of humor. And we seem to find a lot of affinity to cartoons usually the far side um but in this instance there was a cartoon on the refrigerator this woman's like lying on a couch and she's holding all these lotions and potions and things and then the the tagline is like the best way to feel like a kid again is to go home and visit your parents (laughs) like forget the the you know anti-wrinkle creams and things like that it's like go spend some time at home it's nice it's a nice feeling that's good. I know. I remember earlier in the day you texted and you said, oh, it's so nice to be here. Well, it's so, particularly nice because, I mean, for all the reasons that it's nice, but also I've had no gas in my apartment in New York for going on four weeks. So it's nice to have some home cooked food because I've had wait, to- Wait, that's still going on? Yeah. they Oh, they canceled again. Now it's next Friday. <laughs> wow. This has been going on since the 4th of July weekend. No gas. We're almost done with July. It's July 27th today. It's like- it's like hundreds and hundreds of dollars on food. <laughs> like, glad I'm not marathon training. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. That's right. What are you up to? Not much. You know, work's been extra busy recently, which is good, I guess. Things haven't slowed down. Not much. I actually haven't run in like five days. There are no races. There's nothing going on. So I'm just taking it easy. Um, speaking of nothing going on, did you get your email today from the London Marathon? I did receive an email, but I didn't read it. What was it about? They're still deciding. <laughs> They're, They're still, still deciding. deciding. Yeah. Now they've pushed it off. We will know by August 7th. So what does that mean? Training goes on? I know. I'm... <laughs> Tickets should be bought. <laughs> International travel is happening. Forget Not... the pandemic. <laughs> it's. I'm like, what planet? What world are they living in? Like, don't they still have people? They have quarantine still for people coming from, I know, the United States. I don't know about anywhere else anymore, but. It seems like a little bit out of touch with what's actually going on. 
It really does. I'm like kind of confused. I did start laughing when I read it. I mean, I can understand why they wanted to go on. I can understand why all of the race organizers of all of the marathons want them to go on. But I don't know. I'm I mean, I'm not running the... it. <laughs> I'm glad I didn't open the email. I would have just. Well, I'm. Gl- I guess I should have. It would have been interesting to laugh in the middle of the day. So. Yeah. Maybe they may do something just locally. Still. <laughs> now I'm laughing at what I just said. <laughs> and you're laughing at what I just said. Do, While, some, like, do like a 26.2 mile race locally. I know. Didn't they just reopen a ban for like people from Spain to coming in and like there's all of Europe is still trying to figure this out. Anyway, that's interesting. Um, and we'll see. Um, I read today that um, Google told their employees that can work from home, that have the ability to work from home. They can work from home until June 2021. Oh, wow. So they extended a whole year. They said you don't have to come into the office. Except oh for like gosh. infrastructure people who have to be on location and stuff like that. But which is, I would still argue about 70% of their workforce. And what about Thomson Reuters? Yeah, we are. I think we are pretty much done until end of the year as well. And they're, they'll decide then. So yeah, <laughs> speaking of, I don't know what's happening with London Marathon. on. <laughs> <laughs> Who's our, should we talk about our guest? Yeah. Because there's a little bit of a background story you have to give first. Did we already talk about your New Balance Grand Prix race on one of the episodes? No, I don't think that we actually did. We we talked about the races leading up to it. How was that? <laughs> well, first of all, it seems like decades ago. Mm-hmm. It was in January of 2020. So pretty much a lifetime ago. It was and, pretty cool. Yeah. And then there was a, well, let, quickly, the lead up to it. Like, how did... How did you get entry into it and the story behind that? Because that's connected to the person we were going to interview. Yeah, yeah, totally. Okay, so I ran a race in January called the Women's Masters Mile at the New Balance Grand Prix. And the New Balance Grand Prix is a professional race. And it's set, it's the first race of a international circuit race, basically, professional race. And they um, a couple years ago, they started a Masters Mile, but it was just the men's. And then in 2019, um, they opened it up to women. And I heard about it and I set my sights on it and I just wanted to run it. And uh, I found out like how, who the organizers were and I just, I raced hard. I was injured all of 2019, so I couldn't actually have a track season at all in the fall and I couldn't run the Fifth Avenue mile. Uh, So I didn't have a time since 2018 when I ran 519 at the Fifth Avenue mile. So I had to kind of prove that I could pull something off close to that. Um, And so I emailed this guy named Mark Williams. And I introduced myself. I remember I was on Martha's Vineyard when I wrote him the email. So I wrote to him in August and I introduced myself and I told him my history and I told him all about my injury and that I didn't have any current times. Um, And he said, keep in touch, just try to get on the track and we'll, you know, we'll take it as it comes. And then I saw him at the Fifth Avenue mile. He's a, he's a top, I mean, we're going to read his intro soon. He's a top master's runner on the uh, track circuit. And I introduced myself to him at the Fifth Avenue mile and I was on the sidelines. I didn't run. And uh, we just kept in touch. And I, I ran three qualifying races in the fall and got a spot in the race. And that happened in January in Boston. God, the lead up to the actual race was crazy. I was so nervous. I was so nervous that by the time it happened, I was so exhausted from my nerves. And I ended up actually, I mean, I I did, I got third in the race, but I, I did, I keep wanting to qualify this and say that I had a bad day. I obviously didn't have a bad day because I got third, but I didn't feel good. 
I felt really bad in the race. I just felt so sluggish. Um, but I experienced what everyone talks about, how track is not about your time. It's about your placement and it's tactics. And that was really what I experienced. And, and you and Arlette came up and you watched. And my best friend, Angela, who lives in Boston, came with her husband and three kids. And my best friend from the third grade came. And it was like really special. It was a really special day. And I got a bib with my last name on it. And it's on my fridge. And I'll never forget it. <laughs> Yeah, this was at the Reddy Lewis Center, right? Um, yeah. In Roxbury. Um, in the arena, it was like, was it the first race of the event? It is, yeah. It is, yeah. I was I was there. It was so amazing to watch the whole race unfold. Um, the photo of you watching the start was amazing. You looked so ner- <laughs> You looked more nervous than I was. <laughs> but I know that feeling when you're watching someone, it's like, oh, yeah. my God. Because I'd, like, seen you train for it and, like, was there at most of the training sessions and... So it was, it was just, you know, and I like walked into the arena and I was like, oh, this is kind of big. <laughs> yeah, that's how I felt too. <laughs> yeah. It was fun. The whole evening was super fun. Like all the events that took place, it was like being so close to the athletes in an indoor arena is kind of something magical. So it was, it was a lot of fun. Um, my favorite event was obviously your race for obvious reasons. Um <laughs> But the whole the entire evening was a lot of fun. And then later on, we had dinner with Mark and his wife mm-hmm. and some of the other Masters runners, which was also amazing. That's where I got to know Mark. And I was like, wow, this guy's story is amazing. It's so great. We have to bring him on to the podcast. And we finally have him here. And he's so funny. And his wife, Chandra, is so lovely. And that dinner was so nice. You know, the more I get ensconced in running, the more I realize how just wonderful runners are and, and Masters track athletes, just phenomenal people. So this here podcast, we are in the, sorry, what? I was like, this podcast started by, you know, telling people's journeys and speaking of not going out too fast and just taking things in stride. And I think Mark's story will kind of show you how he used to run back in the day and then how it started back up again and then built up to something really amazing and how he loves giving back and is super inclusive of everyone to kind of come join the sport. Yeah. And what's cool is um, we're actually we often end up doing our intros after we've recorded. So we've already recorded this and uh, it's so fun. I mean, something that we're excited to offer you the audience is that it's just in this time when we're not racing, it's just really, it's really nice to talk about running and racing and all the details of his training and what it's like in the, the end of a race. It's just cool. So we hope you enjoy the show. So we kind of have this silly format. We often open up we used to open up by drinking coffee and talking about our coffee and we would um, more times than not we would do our um, intro the bio intro when the person we were interviewing was not there but some of the best (laughs) some of the best um, interviews we've had is when we've gone through someone's bio with them sitting right there just to see their reaction So I am going to introduce you while you're with us because your bio is so impressive and I love seeing your smiling face. So (laughs) welcome to the show, Mark. Thank you for having me. Mark is currently an engineer at Verizon working for the network implementation group as a project manager. He's active on the master's track and field circuit and has garnered several honors, which include multiple New Jersey state and national titles in the 800 meter, the 1500 meter, and the mile, both indoors and outdoors. 
He's a member of the 4x800 indoor relay team that's won the male 40-49 to world record with a time of 749.90. Mark is consistently ranked as one of the top middle distance runners in the U.S. and the world in his age group. And you have a very long list of accomplishments. I'm going to pull out a few. (laughs) Third place in the 800 meter at the World Championship Indoor Turin in Poland. Second place at the NCCWMA World Regional Championships in Toronto. 1500 meter national outdoor champion in 2014, 15, 17, 18, and 19. Uh, 800 meter national outdoor champion 2017, 18, and 19. 800 meter national indoor champion 2018 and 19. And the mile national indoor champion 2019. And that's just a small handful of your accomplishments. <laughs> so welcome, welcome, welcome. Thank you. Mark, uh, no accomplishments in 2020. What's going on? Is there is there a pandemic or something? <laughs> It's it's it, it's been it's been it's it's like an off season, yeah. <laughs> like forced upon the entire globe, right? <laughs> you know, where I was doing research as we usually do on our guests, and I stumbled upon there's a tweet that goes out every day by you, and today is day three hundred. Well, today is three thousand three hundred and fifty fourth consecutive day. Yes. Uh, yeah, but I I don't. There, the tweet hasn't gone out. What's going uh, on? I, because I did it just before we got ready for this race. I'm like I'm rushing to get my running after work, and then get my my 22 push-ups because there's this um 22 push-ups to raise awareness for uh, combat vet awareness. So I'm doing that right now, and I have to do it times two. So even though I'm supposed to do it for 22 days, I'm going to end up doing it for 44 days. Um, because I got challenged by someone a month prior to the challenge that I accepted. So I'm like, okay, I got to double it. <laughs> double challenge. <laughs> yes. Leave so it for to our you. listeners, yeah, so for our listeners, my, uh, Mark's got a streak going on for just over nine years right now, right? Yes. Yeah. It, uh, my anniversary date is May 15th, 2011. How did that come about? How did that start? It actually was an unintentional streak, um, and I ran track in high school, ran track in, well, basically I've been running track since fourth grade. And I ran all through grade school, high school, college. Um, after I graduated and you know started working, the track scene club-wise isn't how it is today, or at least I didn't think it was as it, as it is today. And, you know, basically if you're not running professionally, you know, it's harder to do stuff on a track. So I started doing more, you know, other road racing, 5Ks, 10Ks, stuff like that. And, um, did that for a little bit. And then 2003, 2004, I worked retail. So when I started, I was, I was working retail, crazy hours, nights, weekends, evenings. And 2003, 2004, I actually moved into headquarters um, with Verizon in our Northeast area headquarters. And that year, which was 2003, for the first time, I went to indoor nationals right as I turned 30. Never knew you know, that they had this. So I ran indoor nationals 2003, 2004. And had some semblance of decent, you know, fitness, still still running and ran ran decently at, at indoor nationals up in Boston. And then I started commuting into New York City. So my commute, you know, and I live out by the Delaware Water Gap. So I live in Blairstown, the Blairstown area out Delaware Water Gap. So I started commuting into the city. We we had an, a, another venture that I was doing with work. So my commute at times, you know, on a good day 
one way going almost an hour and a half. But on average, I was commuting upwards to almost five hours a day. So the running really nosedived. <laughs> I wasn't doing as much running. And then um, I came back to work on the, on the New Jersey side, 2007. So I'm like, you know, let me try to get some semblance of running back. So every time I try to piece together a couple of days, you know, you do it for, you know, a week, maybe two, where you had some kind of regularity, and then you'd fall off the horse. And that happened for a few years, up until probably 2011. So 2011, I got back from my cousin's wedding. Uh, my family's from Jamaica, and I you know, got back from my cousin's wedding down in Jamaica. And I ran for like four days, and I looked at my watch, and I'm like, you know, I can't remember the last time I ran a week straight. So I said to myself, I'm like, you know what? I'm going to run until November 1st. And I told my wife and my sister, and they looked at me, they're like, why do you want to do it till November 1st? See if you can do it for a year. So then I'm like, okay, well, let me see if I can do it for a year. So I did it for the rest of 2011. And then the new year came around. And then I was like, you know what? I'm going to try to do it for that full calendar year. I'm going to try to do it for, you know, from January 2012 through December 2012. But then the fitness started getting a little better, you know, because of the regularity with the running. And I said, 2012, I'm like, let me focus on 5Ks and 10Ks and see how the fitness comes along. And then towards the middle of the year, I'm like, yeah, fitness is coming along pretty good. And then I'm like, I heard about this master's track and field thing. And I hear that it gets competitive again once you turn 40. Like it's a big, you know, big, big competitive bump. So I'm like, let me see what this is about. So that season, I jumped into the army and meets at the army. So I did a few army meets and uh, came back on and saw the competition. It sort of kind of ignited that competitive flame. And I'm like, oh, this is awesome. So started running, doing all that stuff. Then I went to indoor nationals, which is really, you know, where it starts to get, you know, the, the competition really steps up. And I get in and I see this guy, Jason Rhodes. And I'm like, I know, I think I know that guy. I think I ran with him because a year when I was in college, I ran, I ran club for one year because I had, I, I took a fifth year, so I didn't have eligibility. So I ran with Shore AC. And I'm like, he looks like the same guy I used to run with at Shore AC. I wonder if it's the same person. And I knew that he lived down in Princeton, but he was based on a California team. So I'm like, I don't know. But then when I saw him, I'm like, oh, hey, Jason, same person, which was kind of neat. And then you heard rumblings about, um, at least in a master scene, about Lance Elliott and, and Nick Dara, the big rivalry that they had. So, so you, you knew a couple names on the master scene. And uh, in our race, it was me, Lance Elliott, Jason Rhodes, and the race goes off. And, you know, usually step back on a track after how many years? You're like, yeah, I'm going to step back and I'm going to be right where I was in college. I'm like, it doesn't work that way. <laughs> I got to everybody that steps on a master scene. I'm like, it doesn't, it, it takes time to get back to some semblance of fitness. But we stepped on a track and ran 800 and we're going through our neck and neck, going into the last 200 meters. And we start to kick and we're all right there. And I end up finishing third, but we're all right there. And I'm like, oh, this was awesome. And then in the unseated heat, you had a, a guy who, at the time I had, I had no clue who he was, um, but Ed Winslow, who was actually part of our 4x8 team that broke the world record, was on that. And he's a 400-meter guy, but trying to step up a little bit. He came back out of the unseated heat and beat me by one hundredth of a second. <laughs> and I was like, whoa, this is so awesome. This is like so competitive. So that really ignited the flame. And then what really threw me over the, the top was I didn't realize they had this master's ranking. Particularly at the bigger meets, they automatically put you in and you can go in and update your results. But during the outdoor season, you know, I'm doing my thing, going to the races. And then I get this email from this guy out in California. And he emails me. He's like, 
were trying to fill the fields for the Masters Exhibition event in Des Moines, Iowa, and it's at national championships for the elites, which is basically the qualifier for them to go to the world championships. So if they finish in top three, they would go off and represent the U.S. at the world championships, which in an Olympic year would be the Olympic trials. So of course I knew nothing of it. I'm like, and he called me up, I think it was like three or four weeks prior to that. So I'm like, well, you know, I got to see what I'm doing on my calendar and what I'm doing. I get off the phone. And I'm like, I don't care what I'm doing for that week. And I'm clearing my calendar. <laughs> so I go to my, you know, I talk to my sister and I was like, Hey, you know, I got this opportunity. I'm going to go. So we figured out, you know, flights and, you know, set everything up, fly out to Des Moines and I get out there and get my credentials and everything. And I go into the warm-up area and getting ready to warm up. And as I get ready to start doing my warm-up, my jog, Lolo Jones jogs past me. And I was like, what? <laughs> and then I turn around and I look up, look in a corner. Tyson Gay is sitting right there in a the corner. I'm like, ooh, like inside you're like, oh my God. But you have to be like calm, cool, and collective on the outside, you know? And, um, you know, they, they, they treated us like royalty. They brought us out, just like one of the elite athletes. We had our credentials, everything. They took your stuff, put it in a bin, brought it in. During the race, we're running the race. I ended up taking third in that race, which was awesome. They're announcing you over the loudspeaker. It was, it was amazing. You know, you're running with the top athletes at, you know, some of them the top in their craft in history, you know, best in the world. And then I came back and I'm like, wow, we have these kind of opportunities as master's athletes. I'm going to make sure that I'm always ready whenever they come around. So that took my whole, that, that took my training, everything to a whole another level. Pulled out all my college workouts, broke it into seasons, started consistently strength training. Like, yeah, it was a whole, that, that was a game changer for me. Thank you for explaining that. What I get from you just love competition. You love the competition. It's all about the competition for me. It's all about the competition. I want to ask you a very specific question. You were describing the arena and the announcements and things. How do you keep that from getting to you? Like, what was it like the first time you were experienced that? It's, it actually pumps you up. But then when you get in the race, it's, it's kind of weird. Like when you get in the race um, and I've run, you know, since then I've run several professional track meets where they've had exhibition events and it's almost like tunnel vision. You just, it just blocks, you block everything out and you just zone in you know, into your race, into the competitor in front of you. It's like, you're like in a little bubble, you know, after, after the gun goes off. Obviously 2020 aside, but generally speaking, do you look at the calendar ahead and you figure out when you're going to have your downtime and which meets you want to compete in, or do you just try to compete yes. in all of them? <laughs> no, no. Well, well, I do, I do, I do compete quite a bit, but um, I usually have key races that I focus in for the season. So I do put a schedule together. So I do an indoor and an outdoor schedule. And then I have the main folk races. So generally you're trying to ramp up where you're building to peak either most likely at uh, either nationals or worlds. Um, mm -hmm. And the world championships, they generally alternate. Um, they have them every year, but indoors one year, outdoors another year. So they, they alternate each year. And ideally, um, you know, you aim to peak for, for worlds. So all your competitions are, are based on that. And, and I use, and sometimes I use some of the competitions, um, you know, like the races at the Armory or some of the smaller meets, like the, the uh, state championships, as as hard workouts and in time trials, so like a fitness test, as we lead up to you know the peak focal races. I think I know the answer to this, but I'll just ask it anyway. So these are pretty tactical events, right? You're going in to compete, place, 
what is your general, I guess maybe if I ask it in more like a philosophy thing, like what is your general philosophy going into these races? Do you research the competition and go with a strict plan to race the runners or you're always running and racing yourself at these events? Ultimately, even though we have all these great competitors we compete against, the biggest competitor is yourself. But generally in, in the races, uh, particularly when we get to a world championship, um, yeah, we do look to see who our competition is, what they've done. Um, we'll go through and Google race results of who's run what. Um, because in the master's world, un unlike the elites, in a master's world, we put our times down. Unless you go to like the invitational events, there's nothing where you have to show proven results. And if you have a new person on the scene that you don't know, you want to see, okay, well, what kind of results have they run? And then you sort of kind of compare it to what their seat times are to see if it's like a legit time. And you look at their history to see, did they compete in college? Were they a former professional athlete on the professional circuit? You know, so it sort of kind of gives you a gauge, you know, what their potential may be when they step on a track, you know. But we're a pretty small circle. So we, for the most part, we pretty much know each other. So you know who is going to do what, where, and, and when. Like, we know most of our capabilities. And then, you know, you just may have a day, too, when someone just steps on a track and everything is just clicking and it just pops, you know. For the most part, it's a huge community. We're, we're all friends. We know each other. but. On, on the rare occasion, you know, particularly in Masters, sometimes you have new people coming into the mix that you have no clue of um, or that you've never heard of. Um, and a perfect example of that was uh, Nationals 2014 when we ran the mile indoors. There was a guy that we didn't know from SoCal, and I knew most of the people in the, in, in the field, but he had put down some crazy fast time. So when we ran the race, like the, the race started, we're like, okay, we don't know what this guy is. So we all sort of kind of sat tentatively behind him. I sat behind him and no one was going to pass me at first. And, and we, I wasn't going to pass the, the one guy. We went through the first 400 and we're like, this pace is very, very slow. But we, you know, said, let's, let's give it another, another 400 meters. And we came through. And again, the race was like ridiculously slow. So we're like, you know what? Forget this. At, at, at the halfway mark, we just took off and we just, we just went. And then, of course, uh, come to find out his times normally aren't there. He just he just arbitrarily picked some crazy fast time. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> so it was it was funny. When you go back and watch that race, it's it's funny. You see the first half where we were, everyone's like running real slow. And then the second half of the race was like, you know, it, it basically was a, a mile run, but with an 800 warm up and then an 800, an 800 race. <laughs> <laughs> It's so funny, though, when you're in the middle of the race and you're having all these ca calculations and permutations, and then you make that decision to just, all right, done with this pace. Yes. We're going for it. It's pretty cool how much goes through your mind in a race. Oh, yeah, yeah. Sometimes you, you the, the crazy things you think of, one race that I had, which was, it was a 2015 season, um, and it was the indoor invitational meet. So this was the indoor nationals for the elites, and they had a 1500 um, exhibition event in this race. And then we had John Trapman. Um, who was a master's athlete. And that year he had just come back on the scene. He ran pro back in, um, I think he was in the 92 Olympic trials. He was, um, he had beat Ted Williams, who was the big heyday um, runner, distance runner for the U.S. in, in, in uh, you know, that season or, 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 the, or that time. So he had stopped, but he met back up with his uh, trainer, Coach uh, Gagliano, who has trained numbers of, of, of Olympic athletes who have made the stage and done gone on to do amazing things. He's just an, an outstanding, amazing coach. John had linked back up with him and was starting to chip away at, at some of the, you know, go after some of these records. Like he lowered the, the uh, mile world record down to 412. 
in this race, he was trying to break the, um, the 1,500-meter world record. In this race, it, w- it was a weird year for me. Um, you know, I was doing a lot of traveling back and forth to uh, Jamaica because we had, you know, some deaths in the family. So it was kind of weird. You know, training was, you know, we're trying to keep the training together and didn't realize that 10 days before and um, I was doing a, a workout with uh, Peter Brady at the Army. And I think I must have tweaked, misaligned my hip or something. Didn't realize it. It just felt, you know, your hamstring is kind of sore, but I just figured, oh, you know, it was a hard workout. So I figured, you know, it was from that. And then in the race, like mentally, I was like, okay, all I got to do is you've already done the work. You know, sometimes you have to talk to talk to yourself and pump yourself up. And I'm like, you've already done the work. You've done it. You deserve to be here. Just focus and go. So we're running the race. And of course, John took it out, strung it out right from the get-go. And we were going, you know, I was hanging behind. There's a, a, a guy, Ted and Peter, myself, Chris Bondin, and and we're going. And at, I think it was like mile four or five, you know, I'm like, okay, I'm doing everything right. And then I got past, Chris Blondin passed me. And I was like, what just happened? What just happened? Like in the middle of the race, I'm, I'm talking to myself. I'm like, what just happened? And I'm like, okay, you're doing everything right. Keep the course, continue going, keep going, keep going. <laughs> and then I ended up running my PR in the 1500, which was 402, uh, 6-1, which was amazing. Everything just clicked in that race. It was just amazing. But yeah, it, it just goes to show, even when you don't think that you're at 100%, stuff just can click and happen, and you can have an amazing performance. And in the middle, and not be thrown off by that so much that it makes you go the other direction and kind of yeah. lose it. Yeah. That yeah. takes a lot of presence of mind. Yes. And just really believing in, in yourself and your ability and, and trusting the process. Do you have a story that's on the other spectrum where the you know, you also have the days when it doesn't click and there is a lesson in there too. Oh yeah. <laughs> well, okay. 2018, my 2018 season. So the end of 2017, right after um, Worlds, I had a, a, a coworker at work who actually trained, we have a, a corporate medley, a corporate distance medley team that we put together for Verizon that runs, you know, we go against like GE, Raytheon, a bunch of different corporations at Penn Relays. So I usually field a, a team and it has to be one master's runner, one female, and then two 18 or older employees, you know, have to be full-time employees. And so he kept thinking me, he's like, you need to come see me. You need to come see me, you know? So I was like, okay, I'm like, after my 2017 season, I'll come see you. And, you know, he's a strength trainer and, you know, serious equipment and stuff that he has um, at, at his house. So I started, um, I started working out with him, you know, strength training. Like I had my own strength training regiment, but working with him brought it to a whole nother level. Even I'm a, a middle distance runner. Um, he trained me almost like a sprinter during our training sessions, you know, when we're ramping up, where I'm leg pressing upwards to, you know, over 700 pounds. Um, so moving serious weight and doing all that. So that indoor season, you know, your body's still and acclimating to it. I ran, and then I had just moved into the M45 age group. So I wanted to try to make you know, a legitimate run, like the season before I ran 157 flat and indoors, the American record was one for the 800 was 156.10 set by Nick Barrett back in 2014. We'd help pace him through that to get to that. So I'm like, you know, it's definitely a stretch to get to that, but I think I might be able to do it. You never know if you get on the right track, the right day, everything clicks, it, 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 it can happen. And, you know, I wasn't far from it and, and physically I know, you know, I'm there, I can, I can do it. So at nationals, this year indoor nationals were at uh, in Landover, Maryland. So it was a it was a flat track, slower track, 
And I knew that it was, the chances of doing it on that track were very, very highly, highly unlikely. That year, Peter Brady wasn't running. He came down and ran the 1500, but didn't run the 800. And usually Peter and I push each other and go back to back. So I knew going into the competition that I didn't think that there was going to be anyone there to really, really push me to at least to an American record pace. So I'm like, all right, let me try to do it solo because the year prior in, in Toronto, very similar solo effort where I just went out and pushed myself with no one pushing me and ran a 157 flat. So I'm like, you know, worst things can happen. I'm, my body's stronger. You know, what's going to happen? So I go out and went through, I think I went through in like 57 through the 400. Felt really good. And it was actually a little slower than I had run two weeks prior at Staten Island. So I knew, you know, I was on pace. I wasn't, you know, I wasn't, wasn't going crazy. And then I came through at the 600. I think I was like 126 going through the 600 with 200 left. And then on a back stretch, the monkey just jumped, you know, and the monkey just jumps on your back. <laughs> I felt it coming. And the last 50 meters, it was, it was ugly. I was just holding on and you're moving like in slow motion. You're just going and I could feel just so heavy and legs were heavy. And I knew, you know, once you, once you start stumbling, your spikes hit the ground, you're done. And right as I was coming up on the line, my spikes hit the ground and I'm stumbling and I, I, already saw that I was going to fall and go down. And I'm like, just follow the line, just follow the line. And you're running scared too, because you're like, they're going to catch me. I'm like, I don't want, you know, I went out so hard and you're like way ahead of everybody. And then to, to crumble and have them pass in the line, I'm like, no, don't happen. <laughs> and I crumbled and collapsed right over the finish line. <laughs> like maybe a second <laughs> or two before the next guy came, I was like, whoa. And I was like, I was done. Talk about leaving it all on a track. It was, uh, yeah, it was left literally all on a track that so, so that was a time when it was it was miscalculated and you know and it happens to the best of us you know that's what that's what competing is you got to go out and give it your all <laughs> yeah you have to admire your conviction for trying and your courage yes i bet 50 meters never felt so long oh yeah it, it's it, it was like the longest straight away ever <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to ask you if you could tell us about your indoor relay team. So that race when we when we broke the world record, um, that actually was a first year, my first full year on, on, on the master scene. So that year, Chris Blondin uh, worked to try to put together a bunch of guys to work together to, you know, put several teams together to make a run at the four by eight world record. And as we were coming closer to the date, you know, we, we, we picked, had a bunch of um, like, like several guys and we we're trying to pull a bunch of guys across the country so that we could push each, you know, push each other. And then whatever team, you know, put some comparable teams to go after this record. And then whatever team gets it, gets it. And then of course, as we got closer, stuff sort of kind of fall apart and people fell off and but we were able to keep a, a core team. So we had uh, Chris Blondin who lives up in, in, in the Boston area and he worked with his team, um, the Greater Boston our Track Club. We had Ed Winslow, um, who runs for Southwest Sprinters out of Pennsylvania. He is primarily a 400-meter runner. You had myself, who's a middle-distance guy, and then Nick Barrow, who's also you know, a middle-distance guy. And then Central Park also put in a team, but their, their team was an M35 team. Peter Brady was on that. Uh, you had John Hornsby or John Evan Hornsby. 
a few of the guys from from Central Park, and then a bunch of um, Boston teams. Uh, HTC Harrier, um, I think, had two teams, and then there was another Boston team in there to sort of kind of help pay, pace us through. We set it up. It was at the uh, end of the Greater Boston, um, the BU uh, last chance meet. It, it's crazy all the administrative stuff that you have to do to to ratify a record. So we had to make sure we had our you know our passports or or, or birth certificates to prove our ages. They also had to make sure that there's a zero test on the starting gun, making sure that it's calibrated with the starting equipment. It needs to be on a track that's been surveyed. And because Boston runs a handful of, of big time meets, including professional meets, generally that is that's always done at, at professional meets because you never know if Usain Bolt or you know Bernard Regatta or any any one of these awesome athletes are running to you know world class athletes that'll you know take down a record. So usually any any meet that hosts professional meets usually has that done every every few years. So you had to make sure all that administrative piece was done. So if the record was actually broken, that it would be ratified. And it needed to be its own separate meet. So even though it was at the end of uh, the BU meet, it was almost like it was a meet that started right after that meet. We had the USATF officials there. So we had all the people there to sign the paperwork and do all all, all the logistics stuff. And then we went out and Ed Winslow was like, okay, I'm not a 400, I'm, I'm not an 800 guy. So I want to go out first because at least I know I'll have the pack to run with. So, you know, we, we sort of kind of set up the, uh, the legs where it would, it would, it would give us the most optimal chance. Ed Winslow led off. Chris Blondin was, was, was second. I was a third leg and Nick Barra anchored. And when we ran, I think Ed, actually, this is the plaque behind me that, 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 that has the, um, this is the, the award that we got from that which was kind of awesome. So I framed like the, the, there's a certificate and a plaque and I have the results sheet in there. <laughs> so I think, I think Ed Winslow ran like a 159.6. Uh, I think Chris Blondin ran a, another 159.0. I ended up running a 155.75, which blew me away. I'm like, where did that come from? Two seconds off my lifetime PR, which was crazy, you know, which I set 25 years earlier. And then Nick Barra ran a 154.93, which was crazy. Oh you know? my God, that's incredible. Yeah. It was, yeah, it was. And, and the funny thing was, is going into that race, I was, I was so nervous because two weeks prior, you know, you're, you're, we knew that this was coming up and you're doing, you know, at, at the New Jersey championships, I was trying to run and get a time below. I didn't break two and I'm trying to get a time below two, two minutes. And I think I ran like a 201 and I was so upset and people were like, that was a great time. But inside I was like, no, that's not what we need. I need a better time if we're going for the record in two weeks. And then come race day, it just every like I said before, it just everything just clicked that day. And it was, it was, it was awesome. It was an awesome feeling. That is so cool. <laughs> Did you guys must have celebrated a lot that night? Oh, we were so pumped. And plus that that night there was a, a, a snowstorm that was forecasted to come up. So we went out, we were, we were pumped. I was like up all night after we finished the race. We went out, got something to eat. And then I drove back that night, back home to, 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 to four hours back to New Jersey. And I, I didn't go to bed that night. I was just so pumped. It was just like, yes. <laughs> the amount of adrenaline that requires takes a while, I think, to go away. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, it was awesome. And it was great because it was, because uh, right after we did that, cause we did that on March uh, March 2nd. And then, we, you know, going into the national season and then later that month was my first world championships in Budapest. So it was awesome to do that. And then, you know, lead into, you know, like a world event. Yeah, that's a real confidence booster. Oh, yeah. Plus it threw my name out there because I remember that year, because 2013, when I first stepped on the scene, I'm like, 
nobody knew who you were. You know, I'm new, just coming back into it. But then 2014, I'm like, okay, I know I'm going to have a target on my back. People know who I am now. I can't be the dark horse anymore. (laughs) (laughs) You can't just blend in. Yeah. Yeah. I know. Interesting being in the spotlight. I've, is it true that you're nicknamed uh, Mark Hot Rods Williams? Is that yes? Do I have um, that right? Yeah, Peter. Is that Peter um, Taylor's doing. Peter Taylor has 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 coined that name, Mark Hot Rod Williams, because he's like Mark Williams is sort of kind of you know that's a just very common name. We got to sort of kind of spice it up a little bit. So, and he started <laughs> doing it actually the 2014 season. He started he he started that, and um, which is it, it's so awesome because like when you're going, he's like Mark. Rod Williams. <laughs> it's, it's such an awesome. Uh, it's awesome. He's the announcer at the Armory, correct? Yeah, he, he does a lot of the Masters events, and he also does okay. the Heart Turn Mile. Okay. He generally, yeah, he generally announces the Heart Turn Mile as well. That's the yeah. one. Is that the one that's uh, scored by age grade? Yeah, age graded, and it's usually the third weekend in January up in up, up in Barton Hall up at Cornell. Yeah. Awesome event. I mean, that's run by Tom Hartron. Um, I think that's by far one of the best masters events out there. It's classy. It's if so if anyone ever has an opportunity to compete in that, I highly, highly, strongly recommend it. I was little, I was a little bummed this year because it actually conflicted with uh, the New Balance Grand Prix, and you know, I work with um, I forget the gentleman's name now. I'm drawing a blank. Who who puts the, the New Balance Grand Grand Prix together? So I try to work with him to make sure that has a strong, very competitive international masters feel to mirror what the pros are doing um so usually i feel i feel obligated to do that and this year they clash i'm like in that kind of clash i think the new balance will win out over hot shorn <laughs> <laughs> actually can you tell us how you got involved in doing the new balance uh masters mile the grand prix yeah the new balance masters mile so once i got on on the Masters scene so 2013 you know i was just learning all the different races and figuring everything out so i heard about um the hot Turn mile and then i also heard about the new balance grand prix and with the New Balance Grand Prix, the race director, he wants to put a competitive field together. So the first couple of times, you know, I did that. It's it's great because again, it's what really got me rolling in in in, in this sport as a Masters athlete is it's an exhibition event, a Masters mile at a professional track meet. So you're you're running with the elites of the world. Um, you know, Ashton Eaton um, runs regularly there. Um, you've had Sydney McLaughlin, Jenny Simpson. So it it it's great exposure to to you know run side by side with with the elites and you know you're in a warm-up area with them you can high five you get to see them and and see them on a, on, a, on a personal level so when i saw that i was like that is is amazing and i know sometimes and i'm drawing a blank on on his name steve vitones yeah steve vitones yeah so so i know sometimes steve has a hard time trying to fill the the field and make it so what i started doing is um you know of course, I love advocating for, for Masters Track, and it's a great way not only for health and fitness, um, but if you want to still compete at a, at, a, at a high level, there's many of opportunities. So I've been working with him um, the last few years to make it competitive. We've been able to, you know, running on the, on, on the world stage, you know, world championships and some of the world meets, you know, you meet up with, the, you know, some um, meets with great guys and, and, and gals. And um, so we started pulling some of the the, the folks over from, from, from York, you know, they're like, you guys have great opportunities here in the States. So like, like, how can we be a part of it? So I'm like, Hey, this is it. We need to email this guy, make sure you, you know, you CC me. And, and if you have any issues, you know, I'll, I'll help you get in. And then, um, I started getting involved at, 
um, with USA Track and Field, my local chapter, which is the USATF New Jersey, but also on a national stage, you know, for masters. And I started going to the annual meeting. So one year, you know, we had a bunch of ladies had said, well, how can they always have a master's men's mile? They don't have a master's women's mile. So I went to Steve. I'm like, hey, Steve, can we can we make a, a women's master's mile? And he, he, he was like, yeah, I don't know if we're going to have the right competition or I don't know if we're going to, it's going to be competitive enough. I don't know if we're going to have, you know, a, as deep a field as we do on the men's side. I'm like, if I help you, we can make sure that we have a competitive women's field. Can we make this happen? Can we do this? So he reached out to someone else on the U.S., uh, USATF uh, New England chapter. With that, I used my contacts to pull, you know, I reached out to uh, a lot of the, the top runners, you know, Jennifer uh, St. Jean, Sonia Frenul, you know, like all, like all the, the top uh, matches women. Um, so the first year I said, well, let me try to do it, you know, domestically. And we were able to, to, to get it off the ground. And then after we got that off the ground and it was a success, then I was like, I got a lot of inquiries about, you know, from, from some of the folks over in Europe, from, from Ireland. And I'm like, yeah, definitely. So I started reaching out. I'm like, well, let's try to make it international now as I started to work and making the men's side international. I'm like, let's see if we can put an international flavor on the women's side. So I've been working with him to, to make that happen. So, you know, I am basically the unofficial uh, touter to, to help him get those fields, make sure they're competitive, you know, both on the men's and the women's side. So I sort of kind of sort of kind of take up that uh, that charge to help him with that. It's, it's an awesome experience. And, you know, I always try to make sure it's competitive. And yes, I would love to make be part of that competitive field. But if I get the field and the field is so good that I don't make the field, well, so be it. But everyone will have that opportunity. And the point is to keep it competitive and, you know, and, and try to help grow that. And, um, you know, I want to try to work at, at some of the other um, venues that that have, and I know New Balance has has, has their circuit, but I know that they have another race down at um, Fast Track down in, in, in the Southeast. So I want to try to do it across, like work and, and try to set something like that up across the country so that, you know, master's athletes, you know, not, not all the master's athletes are able to travel all the time, but if I can set it up in different areas of the country, it, it'll give everyone an opportunity to, you know, be able to compete at a high level at a professional track meet and have that, have that experience. You're such a wonderful advocate for the sport and making it accessible to people. That's what it's all about, you know. Got to keep it fun and exciting and, you know. I love how the journey started with you being in Jamaica and run four days consecutively. Yes. And then and, and, deciding to take that forward. <laughs> yeah. Well, and the funny thing is, is, is the streak, the streak, the streak is a nice to have. It's not a have to have because as you, as, as, as you see and, and, and heard, it's, for me, it's all about the competition. So if I need to break the streak to stay competitive the streak will be broken. (laughs) But it's also nice though, on the days you don't feel like doing anything, it forces me to get out and move the body and just do a little something. So, so, so it's good in that sense. Yeah. I'm I'm sure you're not, obviously the whole point, there's the streak and then there's the whole point of most of your runs are probably super easy. Yeah. What on your hard days, what kind of workouts are you doing? So, so hard days, generally I have, when I'm in season or generally I don't do more than two, maybe three hard workouts a, a week. Um, and like I said, all the others are very easy runs. So like a hard workout would be um, in, in the early part of the season, I generally do longer, longer type intervals. So like 1200s, um, thousands. So like one of my workouts is uh, five times a thousand, trying to target three minutes on, three minutes off or three minutes rest. And basically that's a 72 second quarter pace, which is roughly about like a, a 3K, a 3K pace which is a, that's a pretty, pretty hard workout uh, to do. Um, another workout that I uh, like to do, which is a, a decent workout is uh, 
two times a 1200, um, usually three to four minutes rest, running at um, 70 second pace with uh, uh, two 400s, probably roughly going through at like 64 to 66 pace, which is about mile pace, and then 200s going through at like uh, 20 to 30, um, which would be, you know, just a little slower than 400 pace. And then in mid season, you know, you sort of kind of shorten the, uh, the, the, the workouts and shorten the rest a little more. Um, another workout that's really hard is, uh, uh, six times a 400 going through at mile pace. So 64 to 66 with one minute rest. Yeah. that one, that one's, that one's hard. So you have to mentally prepare for it. Um, particularly cause most of the, the workouts that I do are solo. So okay. you're actually out, you know, you're, it's you and the watch at, at the track. And then another workout that I do that's pretty hard and it's, it, it's, it's a good tester, um, that I do towards, and this is towards the end of the season. Um, it's two times a 600 going through 130 or faster. Usually I'm, I come through on like 128, 127, uh, with eight minutes rest. Uh, so full, re- full recovery. Sounds hard. Yeah. Based on the amount of recovery. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And, and, and generally every workout usually has, um, always has the rest is always active. So even though, um, you have the rest, it's always jogging. So once you start the workout, you don't stop running until you finish the workout. You always have them generally a mile warm up and a mile cool down. Do you do like a long run? Anything that's like double digits? I do. I do a long run, uh, once a week, but a long run for me, um, I'm a relatively low mileage runner. So I only, I average anywhere between 28 to 35 miles a week. So I don't do a lot of, a lot of miles. I'm not a high mileage runner, but when I, as you see, when I do my workouts, my intensity is, is, is pretty high. Um, but my long runs generally are anywhere between six to eight miles. And once in a blue moon, I'll do a 10 mile run, you know, with my club, not, not often, but, but once in a blue moon, I'll do a 10, a 10 miler. And how much are you supplementing with like strength workouts? I'm, I have a feeling you have a good strength routine figured out by now. That's pretty regular in terms of complementing. Yep. Yep. I usually, I, I, I usually do a strength training also twice a week. Last year I was doing it Monday, Thursday, this year, up until March, I haven't lifted since March, but it was uh, Tuesday, Friday. So it gives body enough time to recovery. Is your no lifting since March related to the pandemic? Yeah, sort of kind of, I lifted a week after that, but then after my strength trainer, he also trains a lot of um, a lot of college uh, folks. His schedule has gotten filled with them because of course the kids have really nothing to do. And some of them are NCAA like qualifiers. Um, he also trains some athletes that are potential NFL recruits. Um, he's, he's trained a, you know, several NFL folks that have gone on into the NFL um, and done amazing things at, at the pro level, um, both in, in football, basketball, as well as uh, track and field. Because his calendar sort of kind of got full now, I'm like, you know, handle the kids. They're probably going through a way more difficult time. And right now there's no competitions on the horizon for us. So I think I have more than enough base that, uh, mm-hmm. you know, I think I'll be okay. Yeah, how is the no? How's the pandemic been in general in terms of everyday life and running specifically? I guess everyday life. It's you know you try to you know, I try to maintain a routine. Um, I'm fortunate enough to you know work for an amazing company. You know Verizon has done some amazing things, and our leadership has, particularly in this pandemic, has been simply amazing. Not only the pandemic, but also all the other events that that have been happening across the country. Our leadership at our company has just been simply amazing. Um, so I feel so proud to to work for them and so blessed to do meaningful work because our, our work at Verizon, you know, I'm on the network side of things. It's it's a critical piece to society um, as we, you know, see it today. And the pandemic makes it even more so evident now that everyone's working from home 
how much they rely on us as as as, as a company and or in, and our industry. You know that in itself is has been good. Um, help maintaining a routine. Running wise, ever since I stepped on the track once I turned 40 on the master scene, I really haven't taken any kind of break. You know, knock on wood, I've been very fortunate to not to have any major injuries that have taken me out, but I haven't really had any long rest periods. So I'm using this time to sort of kind of, you know, take it easy. I'm not, even on my hard days now, you know, I've, I've been back in like an off season training cycle. So I'm basically just doing tempo runs every other day. And like those guys like Tony Young and all those guys that, that, that do all the long distance running, I find for me, this is so hard to, to do the, the long stuff. So I'm doing you know, anywhere between four to five, sometimes six miles you know, a day. So my mileage is actually high. I'm, I think I'm running, my monthly mileage now, I think is up to roughly like 140, 150, which for me, that's a, that's, that's a lot. And to do that, it, like mentally, it's just hard. And I was talking, I posted one of my workouts and, and Tony's like, yeah, you're nice base building. And I'm like, I went to him, I'm like, Tony, like this stuff is so hard. I don't know how you, this one's guys like him and, and Christian Cushenberry and like all those guys do all this long stuff. I'm like, you know, mentally it's, it's, it's hard to, you know, maintain that concentration for that long, but those guys are amazing at it. And I'll stick to my medium and, and shorter distance stuff, but I'm using it now just as a base builder, just to maintain fitness and you know, just keep some semblance of, of, of a routine going and maintaining the streak, trying to keep the streak alive. Because a lot of people seem to seem to like that and it gives them some inspiration. So, you know, particularly in this time, any kind of inspiration, anything you can do to help give uh, give people, you know, something to, to look at or focus on outside of, you know, the madness and the craziness, you know, always try to try to always do my part. Speaking of the madness and the craziness, we can turn towards a serious topic more serious the given and you alluded to it a little bit when you were talking about you know being lucky working for Verizon by the way I'm on Fios so it's pretty good oh awesome uh, <laughs> <laughs> speaking of keeping things going um a lot has happened right other than the pandemic over the last you know since March um yeah especially in terms of racial injustice and, you know, and the, actually it hit, impacted the running community directly with the senseless murder of Ahmed Arbery um, yeah. uh, down in Georgia. Yeah. What has your, as a black runner, what has your experience been like um, throughout your journey, whether it was way back in like sort of the high school days or all in, since you picked it up, you know, since 2011, what has you you know how's is has have there been things where you have clearly you know um thought about your identity identity as a black person and and how that impacts your running oh i mean you think about it, like you try not to think about it in 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 that sense like i personally try not to think about it like that all, all the time but it's always there it's always you know on your mind like ahmad that we saw what what happened to him that could have easily been me i run every day Regardless of where I am in the world, I run every day. Um, you know, I live out here in, in in Blairstown. It's generally a white community. You know that that you know I, I grew up in this area, so I, I've always been in this in this general area. But that could have easily been me, which is which is you know when you you look at it and you think about it, it's it, it's it's very you know very scary. You know the interactions that you see and you hear about you know with the police. I've never experienced anything. Crazy. I mean, I had one experience when I was in um uh, in in high school. You know, we had stopped and we were coming off the highway in, in off of Route 80, and we saw a community that you know we're like, 
we wanted to go check this community out and see what it looks like. You know, never seen that one road. So we went in there and apparently we had driven in, I guess they were trying to do some kind of sting or some kind of drug bust or whatever. And we just happened to be in the wrong place at the wrong time. And as we drove up, it was, uh, it was, a, it was five of us in the car. I was, I was the only black person in the car and you know, all my, all my other friends were white in the car. As we drove up, um, the one cop, we passed one guy who was walking on the street um, who happened to be an undercover cop. As we got up, you know, one of the other cops stopped. It's like, what are you guys doing back here? And as we stopped, the one cop from the back came running up. He's like, yo, those guys tried to run me off the road. And of course, blatantly lying, you know, probably because of who we were. In a, I bet if we were all black in a car, it probably would have been a totally different situation. But they came up and the other cop was like, just relax. He knew that he was inflating whatever he thought. They, they went in, they, they looked in our glove box and like, there's nothing there. But, you know, they could have easily, I mean, you've seen and heard of where cops have done that and planted stuff. It could have easily changed, you know, the course of, of, of our lives, you know, just a simple, a simple stop. And you see that over and over day in, day out, um, you know, in, you know, several communities across the country. And it's, it's something that it's, it's, I mean, you see it. Uh, and it's, it's commonplace. Like most parents of, of, of black children have to talk to them on how to act with the police. Most white families don't have to do that. They don't, they don't, they don't need to, they don't even give that a second thought. And, you know, it's, it's, it's crazy to, to have that difference, particularly in this country after so many years, it's, it's still there and still very, still very blatant. As, as we can still see. Have you had any incidents specifically in running? I'm keeping my fingers crossed the answer is no. <laughs> no, no, I haven't, I haven't really, I mean, I've been, I've been fortunate. Uh, generally, even like, even, like when I run here, cause it's, you know, I live in farm country, so it's uh, very rural out here. When I run, I make sure um, if I see any, I'm, I'm a very friendly person. So if I see anybody, I always wave to the cars. If I see someone walking inside the street, I stop. I'm like, hey, you know, my name's Mark. You know, I live in so-and-so. I'm right up here on the street. So, you know, so they know me. So they don't just think that, oh, who's this crazy black guy running out of here? And we, we don't know who he is. So so I make sure that, you know, I know my neighbors and, and they're great. All my neighbors here are awesome. You know, they, they, they know who I am. They see me. Even sometimes, you know, out here we don't have streetlights because um, we're out in the boonies. And back when I was working retail, sometimes I'd come home and I first started my streak. I'd be running at like 10, 11, 12 o'clock at night, <laughs> you know, to keep the streak alive with no street lights. So, um, but, 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 you know, just you know, my community knows who I am. You know, I know them, they know me, you know, which is, which is good. And whenever I see a new face, you know, I always try to introduce myself and, you know, cause a lot of times it's, I think it comes from folks not having that interaction and not knowing. So I sort of kind of try to, so to speak, nip it in a bud. Or, or hit it at the pass yeah. and say, hey, you know, here I am, good. When we first moved out here, my wife and I went to the bank. And, you know, we were going to the bank. We were here, we lived in, I think it was maybe two or three years we were already here. You know, and uh, we went to the bank. We had to go in the back to, to go to our safety deposit box. And when we went in, you know, we went in, did our thing. And as we walked out, there was a gentleman that was at the counter doing something. And as we walked out, he acted like he had never seen a black person before. <laughs> he like turned and just stared at us, just like, just stared. And I was like, Charles and I thought it was quite weird. So we continued walking through. And as we walked around the side and walked out to the car, he like stepped back, like, wasn't he, he wasn't even trying to be inconspicuous about it. He was just blatant. 
he sat back and like looked and just stared at us. And so Shanti just waved at him. We got in the car and we just left. But it was uh, it, 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 it was quite ironic, just just weird, you know. It's interesting to hear you say that, you know, you try not to think about it because, you know, running is supposed to be this democratic sport or just you being out where you are. But it's still obviously in the back of your mind when you have to proactively go and introduce yourself and be, you know, kind of in their mind, you're doing the work of neutralizing the threat if they're thinking a certain way, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Trying to say, hey, here I am. It's all good, right? I've I've heard, you know, just on this kind of having this discourse with other people of color, I've had I've had to kind of like heard this heard heard similar things from them as well. Uh, so that's interesting. Um, you just my mind went somewhere else as you were talking about your streak, and you said, you know, I've come home at eleven o'clock at night, and time's running out after retail, and I have to go run and do the streak. What other crazy things have you done in terms of like making sure this streak keeps going? Oh, to maintain the streak. Oh, probably the one of the craziest things I've done was when we had world championships, they were in Daegu, South Korea. So our flight was leaving at 12.50 a.m. that morning. But of course, when we flew, we'd be flying over the international dateline and we'd be flying and we'd land the next day. So I waited until 12 midnight to start my run in JFK. So I did my run at 12 midnight to get my run in for that day, running through the airport. <laughs> and my wife was like, and this was funny, my wife was like, what are you doing? And I'm like, I, like, I got to get my run in. You know, people in the airport, they, they, you know, they, they understood what I was doing. I was getting my run. But she's like, a black man running in the airport does not look very good. <laughs> but I did my run. Um, so I went until 12, did my run. And then at 12, it took me, I ran 2.7 miles. Cause my minimum is two, two and a half miles. So I did 2.57 miles, came back, grabbed our stuff and walked right on the plane. <laughs> so I got my run in. Um, another time when we were on our way to uh, Worlds at, uh, it was in Spain, in Malaga, 2018, we had a layover in Milan. So when we had a layover, I did my run through the parking lot, jumped back in, you know, went back, jumped on a plane and, you know, flew the rest of the way to Spain. So I'd have to say probably that those two are probably the, probably one of the craziest things that I've done to, to keep the streak alive. So we both had the privilege of meeting your lovely wife, Chandra, in Boston this year. Can mm-hmm. you, you have such a lovely story about when you guys first met and you went on a trip together. <laughs> Can yes. you tell us a little bit about Oh, it was awesome. So the way that we met, we, uh, of course, through work, we were trying to, you know, I guess I decided to do a marathon. And um, we did with our fitness, our guy that runs our fitness centers um, and one of our VPs, you know, they did it through a team of training to raise money for um, Leukemia Lymphoma Society. So we, we did it the first year. And then the second year, I did it again. And the second year when I did it, you know, it's down. It's at the Disney Marathon that we did it at. I think the first, I think it was the first weekend in January. So we went down and New Jersey chapter just happened to be sitting next to the North Carolina chapter. And um, I looked over. It was funny because it was the, you know, they have the, the big, um, pasta night celebration before the night before the marathon and her table was over there and I looked over and I saw her and you know when you see someone and you're just like ah something just clicks and then she at at, at the end of the day or the end of the evening she disappeared I'm like where'd she go and I'm like man I think I just might have lost the chance of a lifetime (laughs) so as I was walking out the door she was actually her her and her chapter were having a, a meeting and I saw her I'm like Hey, how you doing? So I introduced myself and she introduced herself. And I said, I will see you tomorrow. 
because it was a day after the the it was a marathon and then that that night they have a big celebration you know to get everybody dancing because after the marathon you're like so super sore and uh she went to her friend she's like what does he mean he's gonna see me tomorrow and she's like well the celebration after the marathon <laughs> so after so 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 after she did so after we did that you know we both ran the marathon and um after the marathon i had a i think i had a, a massage um she fell asleep so i'm like i was late to dinner so i'm like oh i gotta hurry and get there so I finally rushed to get there and, you know, I got there just in time for dinner, um, was able to, to, to grab a bite. And then they dragged everybody out on the dance floor to get everybody moving. And I was like, where is she? I'm trying to look for her. And the hall that they had us in in Disney World is massive. It's probably like three or four, um, like football fields, like just massive hall. So I'm like on the dance floor, searching through, looking for her. So I finally found her. And we did some dancing and hung out. And then that evening, we afterwards, we just sat and talked till like, I think three or four o'clock in the morning. And then we exchanged exchanged numbers. And then, and then we went, you know, we went back because she was, at the time, lived in North Carolina and I lived here in Jersey. And then with work, every time I would win a, a an award or a trip with work, like I won President's Cabinet where they sent us out to Hawaii, I would always take my sister. This time I had won a trip. It was going up to some upstate uh, New York um, weekend trip to uh, dude ranch. I went to my sister. I'm like, Hey, Nick, why don't you, you know, you want to come uh, to this dude ranch? Just, just, you know, for this weekend, this, this long weekend. And then she was like, why don't you ask the person you just met, you know, that, that you're telling me about last weekend. I'm like, I can't ask her. She's going to think I'm crazy. <laughs> I just met her. And then I'm asking her, why don't you come fly up here and come go away on a weekend with me? She's going to think I'm nuts. So my sister's like, well, all she can say is no. <laughs> And I'm like, well, okay, you know, you're right. So at the time I, I was working down in Bridgewater, so I had about a 45-minute commute home. So I, was, so I called her, um, which was a couple, uh, maybe a week after we got back. And um, it took me like the whole 45 minutes just to muster up the courage to, to ask her about the, the dude ranch. But we started talking and, and asked her about that. And she's like, well, I got to, you know, and at the end, she's like, I got to check to see, you know, what I'm doing that weekend. But ever since then, we talked every day. And then she came back and she was like, you know, she had something to do that weekend down in, um, down in, in I think in, in, in Fort Lauderdale. So we're like, okay, so it didn't happen then. But then a group of friends that I had met traveling the October before we had met on a trip in Greece and Egypt, we all tried to meet up each year and, and, and go together. So this, this current year, which just happened to be, I think, just a little over um, under six months, we're like, let's go to, let's go to Mardi Gras. We've all never been to Mardi Gras. So we all were planning to go to Mardi Gras. So I asked Sean, I was like, Hey, we're all going to Mardi Gras. Do you do you want to come? And she went to her mom. And mom's like, do I want to go. And she was like, her mom was like, go. What do you have to lose? So our first our first date was 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 Mardi Gras <laughs> down in New Orleans. Go big or go home, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yep. And then the rest, as you know, is history. <laughs> so I met. Yep. So I met my 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 wife and. Yeah, met my wife, my, my princess in Walt Disney World. <laughs> <laughs> That's so wonderful. Mark has to part a little bit of wisdom for our listeners. We usually end our episodes with by asking if you had one training tip for runners, you can only give one. <laughs> what would it be? <laughs> the one training tip is always be consistent and don't beat yourself up too much. Sometimes you have to make adjustments on the fly. Sometimes you get out and sometimes you're not clicking that day and you know, you're struggling through the workout. You know, if you need to make some adjustments on the fly, make adjustments. Um, the best, the, 
we all we all need to do it and you know don't don't be too hard on yourself now we're all human thank you so much mark thank you so much for giving us so much time oh you're welcome thank you you for having me keep inspiring you're very inspiring i I see all your posts on facebook keep it up (laughs) (laughs) thank you we'll see you guys in two weeks awesome